This program is paid for by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the values or opinions of 91.5 KUNV or the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Las Vegas, it's Zondra Pollard with It's Where I Am. Today, my guest is Hope Parrish, a prop master of 42 years, one of the first female prop masters in Hollywood. She's done films such as one of my favorites, Django, X-Men, Congo, and The Aviator. She's done a whole list of Hollywood blockbusters, and she's here today to talk about how to keep Hollywood safe. So as we know, there was an unfortunate incident that the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, um, died from a live round from a 45 revolver, and the director, Joel Souza, was shot. But he's still alive, thank God. But unfortunately for Hannah and her family, uh, they're dealing with her death. So now we have uh, Hope. I'm going to bring in to talk about how we can continue or how we can keep Hollywood safe. Hi, Hope. Thank you so much for being on It's Where I Am. So you are a prop master. You've been doing this for 38, 42 years, something like that. And uh, you've done some great movies. I want to talk to you about how to keep the set safe. But first, can you explain what a prop master is and what they do? Absolutely. Um, And hi, thank you, uh, Sandra, for having me today. A property master, historically, has been the person who procures, rents, purchases, any item in the script that depicts a character, characterization of a film. It could be a a sled like in Rosebud. That was a prop. Uh, Weapons, food styling works under our direction. Animals work under our direction. Picture cards work under our direction. Um, We have a very large amount of things that under our uh, blanket title, what we are um, to manage during the course of the film. A property master is also one that works in, that works along with production and the the, the assistant directors, the DGA, um, maintaining maintaining safety on the set. But Pop Master, historically, we break down the script, we find out what's needed, we read the white, not just the print, because, you know, when the Indians come over the hill, there's a whole lot that goes involved with this one little phrase that says the Indians came over the hill. You need horses, you need guns, you need, you know, all their accoutrement, and, and again, uh, safety on set. So you're in a male-dominated field, and being one of the first women ever to be a prop master, what is that like? Well, for me, I was the first born of 
three girls to my father, who is a property master, and my grandfather, who's a property master. I'm third generation. I have an uncle that was also a property master and a cousin who was a set dressing lead man. And my mom's father, he was a studio welder. So we come from a long time of Hollywood people that um, have done this. And when I came in in 1979, a very close friend of mine, uh, my mentor, Emily Ferry, in 1977, she actually sued Local 44, which was the premier local. Uh, there was three basic areas of filmmaking, in, uh, counties, or I should say areas of filmmaking, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. New York, and Chicago. And L.A. being the premier local had the most uh, and the largest guild uh, in the IOTC. And when I came in in 1979, uh, a year and a half, two years after Emily joined, um, because of my age, I was just turning 21, and it was a boys' club. I was, they deterred me from trying to be a property master. They wanted me to just have kind of the crummy jobs of dusting and doing the flower room and working as a set dresser, and I just kept saying, no, that's not what I want to do. My father, I want my, I want to make my dad proud, you know. I always felt like, you know, maybe he wanted a boy, but he got me, but at the end of the day, none of that's true. Um, I've made my father very proud. and um, But it was a challenge. Um, we weren't always invited to things. So one of the first things I did um, was to learn the craft. Mm-hmm. I was that dresser, then I was an assistant, and then I was a property master. So you worked your way in. So and in those, da- those days, we had a grouping. We okay. had the three, two, one, much like Teamsters where they had a three, two, one system and you have had to work a certain amount of days and hours to climb the ladder to get up to be a one car. And at that point I could have worked as an assistant prop master. And then I'd had to have 5,000 hours to become a property master. Today, those rules have changed drastically and those requirements are no longer in play because in 1985 or 86, the studio system of the tier system went away. So is, do you always have to have a property master on a film? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. So in the movie Rust, who was the property master? Because the armorer, what is the difference between, because Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was the armorer. What is the difference between an armorer and a prop master or property master? There's an industry-wide labor management safety committee bulletin, safety bulletin number one, and there's many bulletins, but bulletin number one is gun sa- weapons safety. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it never mentions the armor separate from the property master. Okay. Historically, the property master hires the armorer. Maybe that armorer is part of their crew. Maybe the property master is an armorer. I was an armorer on many of my movies because I actually went and after getting into the business, I knew I had to become strong in certain areas that women weren't always thought of being strong in. So I hung out at Stembridge Gun Rentals for days at a time and hours and hours taking apart guns, understanding guns, figuring it out. And then I went and got licensed with the ATF the U.S. Department of Justice, the California Department of Justice, and I'm on the COE list for California. So did you do all of that at 21, or by what age did you have all of that accomplished? I started, I got my weapons permits in 1989, 
um, when I knew that I wanted to actually, I had my hours, I was, I got my card, I was doing a TV show called China Beach, and I knew that on that show, I had to know everything I was handing the actor. So I spent hours understanding these weapons, but not being a weapons expert. I'm the property master with a grave understanding of safety and how this weapon works. Um, I would have an armorer come from Stembridge or even ISS in my latter part of my career uh, to accompany me if there was a heavy weapon scene where I had more than we needed to handle. On Air Force One, I was the armorer with my assistant Lance Larson, who had a really well-rounded uh, weapons uh, knowledge because he was the worked in the gun room at the old Ellis Mercantile Prop House. So when I did Air Force One, I thought, you know, let's see if we can get Lance. Okay. I just wanted to always create a crew that had knowledge based on what the story we were telling. And if I wasn't certain about certain things, I wanted to make sure I had proper backup with me. So let's let's get into that a little bit. So you want to make sure you have a crew that you can trust and that is knowledgeable, right? And then looking at this incident, it, it seems like I'm hearing that there's like really only two people involved with passing over a cold, quote unquote, weapon to the actor. So what are some of the safety protocols that are to be in place when you're doing a scene? Well, first of all, under no circumstances are we allowed to have live ammo on a set, first of all. And this is all laid out in safety bulletin. All of this is in the safety bulletin, which is attached, by the way, to the call sheet and is supposed to be attached every day that there is gunfire on the set. The second thing is, is that know what you're handing an actor. Know what your weapons are. Know, understand what you're doing. Never hand a weapon to an actor before you've shown it to the first assistant director on set. And if I showed them the, that gun 10 minutes ago, I have to re-show it to them now because now something held us up or something changed. Right. I now have to take a pause, show it to the first AD and the crew. I mean, we're there to make sure that not just the actor and the camera department crew are, are safe, but the entire crew is safe, even animals. If you're on a set like Django where you have horses, I have to pack the ears of the horses with cotton so that they're not hearing that loud burst. The sound mixer, you have to pay attention that the sound mixer who has these on his ears, you're not firing off a full load and he doesn't know what it is. Right. So if, if, if I was to do that on my shows, I would have a, a gun for rehearsals and all my guns are locked up in a box on my cart on set and only the guns required for that particular scene or that particular piece would be brought out of the out of the out of the lockup for that shot which is right here it's just it's a lockup that's always close by right and you know when you're when you show it to the first assistant director now he understands the gun is either empty or you have dummies now when you have dummies in a gun Historically, we make dummies, our Hollywood dummies are the lead, because when you're using a revolver and you're pointing the gun at the camera, you see all the little cylinders in the barrel. Yes. So in there to simulate that you have, the gun is loaded. Mm-hmm. So we make Hollywood dummies. A lot of time they'll have the lead on them with the brass. The pin, the firing pin has been hit. The, 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 
that has been hit. So then that way you know for sure it's a dummy. And sometimes you can shake it and there'll be a little bead in there. So you know that it's been rigged for an actual dummy to be used on set. So I will show the first assistant director everything. And then when that actor comes on set, which that actor, if they're depending what they're firing, I've asked them the questions in makeup and hair tests. What is your weapons knowledge? What have you experienced? What have you worked with? Okay. I've worked with actresses that have never fired a gun before and taught them safely how to fire a gun. Reese Witherspoon, one of them. We brought her into ISS. We gave her lessons right there with blank ammunition, no live fire. And also Julia Roberts on, on a show that one of my last films with her, I taught her right how to do how to fire that pistol so that she could do it safely and no one would get harmed, including herself. So are actors required to learn gun safety before going on a movie if that involves weapons? They need to have us, I believe, in my textbook of rules, that they have a certain amount of knowledge. And if they've never fired a if say for instance you're doing Terminator three. Okay. Those guns that are firing. Each one of those people have a working idea of how that gun is fired. We either hire military guys who've been in or retired to work as extras, or even, say for instance, uh, an actor who is firing just a, 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 a you know a full auto pistol or even a revolver. I will make sure that they have an understanding of how that goes, and if they're afraid of it. We'll work out something else. Okay. There are actors. I want them to tell me the truth of what their knowledge is. Sure. Exactly their their comfortability. Mm hmm. So I I was looking at the news and I, a lot of the industry now, you know, quickly they've changed to rubber guns. So do you think that uh, one day the uh, real or live, not real or live, but uh, an actual gun? would be still required for movie sets? Or do you think everyone's gonna to move to the rubber gun? Experienced people who are called property masters with experience and armors with Hollywood experience. We have fired millions and billions of rounds of ammunition through millions of guns. And there's been two incidences with inexperience and revolvers that have, have harmed people. Neither of these had to happen. Neither of these were had many times to not happen. I can't get into the specifics of this one because it's an ongoing investigation. And I don't think, I don't want to say anything that the Santa Fe District Attorney or the uh, Sheriff's Department. Department, that the Sheriff's Department has actually acknowledged on camera. Sure. Watched this morning. But it's a... This didn't have to happen. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tragedy to not only just the families and the people involved, but it is, it, it's, it's, it's this reverberation that's hitting all of America and the industry around worldwide about weapons. Weapons in the hands of the experienced people that have the titles to have these in their care know the rules, and know how to keep a safe set. And unfortunately, in both of these incidences, they did not follow safety bulletin number one. Had they done that, had some of the protocols been set, been followed, this probably would never have happened. Now, 
unfortunately, at the time that this happened, um, Hollywood was about to go on strike. And on set, you know, a lot of the union members had left and they outsourced people, right? So what is going on with the strike? I thought the strike was over. My husband is in production in Hollywood and I was just like, oh, thank God you can go to work. But as far as what you've told me, it's not over yet. So who's all affected? What's going on? It's a national contract negotiation from here in New York and all the other area standard communities uh, in filmmaking, which would be Atlanta, Georgia, uh, uh, Georgia, New Orleans, Philadelphia, you know, Pennsylvania, a lot of the smaller um, areas of film. And it's been negotiated. A contract has been uh, come to an agreement between our local leaders, New York especially, but it has not been voted on by the membership. So although many feel that this is a good contract, there are still some that believe that we could have gotten a better contract. Um, So that is where we're at. And that ratification, I think, is going to be coming out in the next week or two where the, the ballots will be going out again for the next vote saying that, yes, we agree on this contract and the entire IOTSE um, has signed. So what are, what are they fighting for? So I, I know they're fighting for uh, more representation of women, people of color, um, better work conditions. What else are, what are some of the other issues? You know, Los Angeles has a little different contract than the rest of the nation. And so there's, there's, there's some things on our contract that, that we want to have in place also. But the main thing here is that the new media of which we watch movies is not cable so much anymore. It's streaming. Right. Uh, It's not going to the movie theaters and seeing, you know, a second run on something. Our our residuals, most everybody in Los Angeles uh, that's in the IOTSE, uh, we do receive residuals, and it goes into our medical fund. Now, wait, back up for a minute, Hope. What is the IOTSE? Tell us what that acronym stands for. The IOTSE stands for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stagehands Employees. Okay. It began in New York, uh, and that is where our main uh, union representatives, uh, their seat, that's where they're, they they come from is New York, and um, I'm a member of Local 44, IOTSE. Um, my grandfather was in the original strike back in 45 and uh, to develop the IOTSE, and that has been the basis of, of, of where my work um, has been throughout my career. I've never worked on a non-union job, um, and for many reasons, I, I guess I can be grateful because I have a roof over my head. I had a decent pay and I had benefits. Um, but part of the problem I see, or not problem, but some of the things that I, I'm hearing that people are unhappy with was the 10 hour turn, the eight hour turnaround. That's been grueling for years. Um, your husband is a teamster. You know that eight hour turnaround is a killer. Um, off production gets affected by that more than on production. But still, um, a 10-hour turnaround is going to be two hours better than an eight-hour turnaround. 
the pay raise, we were getting a zero pay raise. We are get back getting our 3%. Um, our medical fund, our medical, I don't, I can't speak for the other, other areas except Los Angeles, but I believe that, that they gave us at least what we had before. And some feel that that's just not enough. And I understand, you know, I've been saying for 30 years, a producer was allowed to bless the locals, but it's time for our new companies, our new studios um, to take it, to understand that Amazon, Netflix, who, you know, a lot of the different new, new branches of filmmaking and studios, they really need to understand why you have experienced people on your show and why we're asking for these certain things. And we're willing to give you blood. I mean, I, I didn't have a life for 38 years. I was working every day and long hours. Right. Sometimes you'd work 17 hours a day, uh, you know, nine hour turnaround if you're on stage. I mean, and in Los Angeles, I mean, in 1989, when I was doing China Beach, we were shooting 20 miles outside of town by Magic Mountain at Indian Dunes and driving home with one eye open at 5.30 in the morning in bumper-to-bumper traffic, taking you two hours to get home. I mean, there were so many close calls. And there were people that have died at the hand of long hours. Uh-huh. There's a great video that Haskell Wexler, the last house, the late Haskell Wexler did, called Who Needs Sleep? And okay. It, it it was it sent a little shock wave, but not a big enough shock wave through because many of his friends and people that worked for him have died at the hand of long hours. So, my understanding is from this unfortunate incident, it seems to me that it started from poor work conditions, outsourcing people who don't have experience, and now we have an unfortunate uh, tragedy. So, does that sum it up right? Yeah, I mean, without getting into speculation sure. and ifs and the woulda, shoulda, couldas, that pretty much sums it up. I just feel like we really need to, the property master and the industry need to understand, let me back up, the industry and the producers need to understand the importance of hiring an experienced property master to be on set no matter what your show is, whether it's a three camera TV show with children or whether it's, you know, Terminator three, you need to have that experience there. Absolutely. And we all see why I want to thank you so much hope for your time and giving us your insight. Um, Thank you for being here and please know that you are always welcome back. I was going to say maybe under happier circumstances with the Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank all my 91.5 listeners for tuning in. Um, I'm here every second Saturday of the month and you can catch this show and all my shows on itswhereiam.com. So thank you. And I'll see you next month, second Saturday at 830 a.m. Bye.